where Dave and I plan this year's company holidays. Let's go through the list. Easter, too religious. St. Patrick's Day? Too white. Mother's Day? Way too cisgendered. All of your usual holidays have been canceled this year. But we still have Karl Marx's birthday! Ha <laughs> Need a real reason to party? Find a new job at redballoon.work. Scientists from John Hopkins and Harvard have found that the COVID experimental gene therapy injections are 98 times worse than the virus itself. While in Canada, you need to get that poison in you every three months because you can't be free unless your heart and ovaries are permanently damaged. The UK government, in a stunning move of actual common sense and science, bans all COVID shots for children under 11. While in Canada, our children need to get that poison in them every three months because you can't go to school or play hockey unless you die suddenly on the ice due to unknown causes. And finally, we interview Jacob Rayon, pastor at Trinity Bible Chapel in Waterloo, an all-round dealer in rather spicy truth regarding the new documentary Antichrist and His Ruin and the upcoming conference surrounding that documentary. We're also going to show you the newest trailer for the film. Buckle up, ladies and gentlemen. I don't know about you, but today feels like a lovely day to get our third strike on YouTube. It's September 15th. I'm Andrew DiBartolo, that's Matt Halleck, and this is the Liberty Dispatch. Welcome to the Liberty Dispatch, broadcasting across enemy lines into the Canadian culture war. Whatever or wherever you are joining us from, please be uh, sure to subscribe, comment, like, rate, and review. Give us a five-star review if you would on those platforms because it helps us get our show out to more people. Also, please go over to flfnetwork.com. That's the Fight, Laugh, Feast Network, and you can check out our content on there. Also, you can find us on the Fight, Laugh, Feast Network app, which you can download on your Google Play or your Apple App Stores, so you can get our content on demand right on your device, whether it's your iPhone, iPad, or Android device. So definitely want to go do that. And finally, go over to our new website. Please check everything we've got going over there. You can sign up for our email list so you can be cancel or uncancelable. You can get all our content and we can directly communicate with you. Also, feel free, please, we urge you, if you would, help donate to the Liberty Coalition Canada because we have... As we just rolled out yesterday, some legal updates. We're doing legal advocacy. We're doing all sorts of different initiatives, and we're continuing to grow our news and analysis as well. So a donation would be very, very much appreciated and so very helpful to what we're doing. So you can either scan the QR code below or please go over to that website, click the donate tab at the top of the page. And you can also, if you want to contact us directly, go over and email us at info at libertycoalitioncanada.com. Our first story is brought to you by our friends over at Rocklink Investment Partners. The team at Rocklink doesn't invest your money to satisfy a woke ESG goal or fall in line with the World Economic Forum. They invest in great businesses that will protect and grow your wealth the old-fashioned way. 
So please, for your sake, for the sake of your children, <laughs> get out of the mainstream money and give the freedom lovers at Rocklink a call at 905-631-5462 or send them an email info at rocklink.com that's info at rocklink.com and make sure that you tell them that we sent you there and the first story andrew is big news it's a doozy a new preprint study by nine health experts from major universities including harvard and john hopkins have showed that the covid19 vaccines are 98 times worse than the virus yes you heard that right the risk associated with the mrna experimental gene therapies especially when given to younger healthier individuals as those who would be attending universities far outweighs the risk of serious outcome due to COVID-19 in that same population. As such, the paper goes on to state that mandatory booster vaccination in college is ethically unjustifiable. You know, like in the case of Western University, the story that we've been covering I intimately, and Western's not alone in that, but we have been highlighting that uh, that case for sure. So the study was posted on the Social Science Research Network, that's SSRN, in September, and it's titled COVID-19 Vaccine Boosters for Young Adults, a Risk-Benefit Assessment and Five Ethical Arguments Against Mandates at Universities. The arguments, Andrew, that they bring forward are as follows. No formal risk-benefit assessment exists for this age group, university-age students. Vaccine mandates may result in a net expected harm to individual young people. Mandates are not proportionate. Expected harms are not outweighed by public health benefits given the modest and transient effectiveness of vaccines against transmission. U.S. mandates violate the reciprocity principle because rare serious vaccine-related harms will not be reliably compensated due to gaps in current vaccine injury schemes. And finally, mandates create wider social harms. We consider counter-arguments such as a desire for socialization and safety and show that such arguments lack scientific or ethical support. So, Andrew, who could have guessed that this one-size-fits-all COVID mandate lockdown vaccinate policy would not only be short-sighted, but it would ultimately be more harmful to public health and the well-being of many than the actual disease itself? Matt, that is an excellent question. And so I think I will let Alfred answer with my high-level answer to that question. Today you get to say I told you so. Today I don't want to. But I did bloody tell you. Now let me let me flesh my answer out a little bit more than what Alfred said, which personally I think suffices. But beyond that, <laughs> Indeed. what I'll say is that what we've seen 
is that when you approach human beings from a purely Darwinian materialistic view, which is to say that all we are is physical organisms with biotic life, we live and we die and that's all, and all the decisions we need to make are things that have everything to do with living long and not dying and that's it, and you fail to recognize or you intentionally don't recognize that we are emotional beings and spiritual beings. There's a psychological component to our existence. There's a relational component. There's a, there are economic realities to the decisions that we make. And when all you see us as is these singular biological beings and you, you neglect the fact that we're complex, that all of these things are intertwined with one another, that if you just make a decision, which is everything we can to make sure people don't die, you will actually devastate lives. And as we're seeing, it ends up being more deadly. And this is the irony of what we were saying two and a half years ago, that if all you worry about is make sure that you preserve physical life at all costs, the, the consequences of that will be more detrimental to physical life, will actually equal more deaths and aside from just the deaths it'll also decrease the quality of life in all these other areas as well economically spiritually emotionally this is what we were warning about and i'm glad that finally you have in the mainstream people speaking out numbers and statistics showing the downstream effect but it's still devastating for those people who've had to experience it that they they quite literally were the guinea pigs. They were the test subjects and they suffered and they can't even pursue legal recourse until 2027. But even then, it's only after the vaccines are administered post-2027. So anything you experience now, guess what? Too bad. They've been freed from all liability. So it is... It is thoroughly devastating that we've done this. Absolutely. And as I said, the monomaniacal approach to this COVID pandemic has been devastating. But I want to let the study and its conclusion speak for itself. So this is a rather lengthy quotation, but I think it really encapsulates a lot of what the study entails and will kind of drive home the point of what they're getting at in this risk uh, reward benefit analysis uh, uh, pertaining to vaccinations and uh, especially young people. Based on public health data provided by the CDC, we estimate that approximately 22,000 to 30,000 previous unaffected young adults ages 18 through 29 years must be boosted with an mRNA vaccine to prevent one COVID-19 hospitalization. So what's being said there? 22 to 30,000 people within this age range have to be vaccinated to prevent one hospitalization. Given the fact that this estimate does not take into account the protection conferred by pre prior infection nor a risk assessment for comorbidity status, this should be considered a conservative and optimistic assessment of benefit. Our estimate shows that university COVID-19 vaccine mandates are likely to cause net expected harms to young adults between 18 and 98 serious adverse events requiring hospitalizations and 
3,234 disruptions of daily activities, which is not outweighed by a proportionate public health benefit. Serious COVID-19 vaccine-associated harms are not adequately compensated for by current U.S. vaccine injury systems. As such, the severe infringements of individual liberty are ethically unjustifiable it creates what would be called a moral hazard in philosophical terms worse still mandates are associated with wider social harms the fact that such policies were implemented despite controversy among experts and without updating the sole publicly available risk-benefit analysis to the current Omicron variants suggests a profound lack of transparency in scientific and regulatory policymaking. These findings have implications for mandates in other settings such as schools, corporations, healthcare systems, and the military. Let's add churches as well. Policymakers should repeal booster mandates for young adults immediately, ensure pathways to compensation to those who have suffered negative con- consequences from these policies, provide open access to participant-level clinical trial data to allow risk and age stratified harm benefit harm benefit analyses of any new vaccines prior to issuing recommendations, and begin what will be a long process of rebuilding trust in the public health system. Boom, a scathing conclusion to that study. And I think worth reading in full because it just highlights the fact that so much of what was done during this COVID pandemic by the medical establishment, by big pharma, working in concert with big tech and big governments across the world has been detrimental and tyrannical. And I think, as we've said many times on this program, Andrew, we're going to be unraveling the harms that have been created by this pandemic response for for centuries you know it's 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 a huge chapter in his in history so andrew i know you also have a story that is along these lines where after doing some risk benefit analysis it turns out that the initial approach to vaccinations being about the only way we can get out of this pandemic has not only been ineffective, but also now very harmful. Well, what connects these two stories are two words that you mentioned or two phrases. The first one is a lack of transparency, which clearly has marked the elites in the last two and a half years Mm -hmm. and also marks this this next story we're going to bring up. The second one is the idea of the rebuilding of public trust in these institutions because our elected officials, our unelected health bureaucrats, and really the health industrial complex in on a larger scale have thoroughly discredited themselves, have shown that they are in no position to have any finger on anything public policy, and they themselves have abandoned any kind of scientific endeavor or study or research that has any shred of integrity. And so I I think it's gonna take a lot more. It's not about rebuilding trust. I think that trust in these institutions 
for at least a generation or two is now lost forever. I don't think there's going to be any way to rebuild it because mm -hmm. of what we've seen and because of the way that they've operated in the shadows without mm -hmm. transparency. I think it's going to be a long, and long let's be time. clear. It's death by suicide, right? It's not death by homicide. It's death by suicide. They did this to themselves. They did. And so our second story and what can only be described as a blip in tyranny, the UK government has decided to ban all COVID shots for children 11 years and under. And have you heard about this? Cause I haven't heard about this. I haven't seen this all over legacy media. You think this would be a big deal, but no, it's very quiet, very sneaky. It's on the books in their programming without actually making a big deal about it because, again, lack of transparency. And it, it, it totally contradicts the push in our nation and the rhetoric coming from our government officials at the highest levels about continuing to get vaccines, vaccines, vaccines for every age group. Well, Matt, because, again, you remember your test stores have to push the product all the way, <laughs> whereas the other stores, they don't have to push it as aggressively. You don't even give them the full rollout. But the test store, Canada, has to push its product from head office, the WEF. And if I say that and you're wondering what on earth is he talking about, we'll link in the description the show that Matt and I, you and I did, which was a lengthy hour and 20 minute deep dive in the WEF globalist agenda and how Canada is the vanguard, right, is the harbinger of this globalist agenda. But anyways, this comes to us from The Guardian regarding this story. Quote, UK SHA's Green Book, which provides information on the vaccine rollout for public health professionals, states, quote, this one-off program applies to those aged 5 to 11 years, including those who turn 5 years of age before the end of August 2022. Subject to further clarification, ongoing eligibility in 2022-2023 after the one-off program is expected to be for children in the academic years where children are aged 11 to 12. So part of that part of that language there, it's almost like they're saying, "Oh no no no, we never we never intended a permanent lifelong implementation of COVID injections for children." No, 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 no. This was just a one-off. We were just—it was a test thing. But now we're now that the test thing is over, now it's just for kids 12 and 13 years and older. Now many professors in the UK have objected to this move, including Professor Christina Pagel from the university. I don't know if I mispronounced her name. I don't care because she's she's a lizard from the University College in London, saying, "Quote: No, more control, more tyranny." more kids developing permanent damage to their bodies. What about our money? What about our money? Will someone please think about our money? Now, that's not what she actually said. And I'm not going to read what she actually said, because anyone who supports putting this juice inside children has no business teaching anyone anywhere. And their opinions on such matters are to be heartily ignored. Needless to say, this decision from the UK government has been met with opposition by people who either A, have a tremendous amount of profit to be gained from the vaccine rollout, or B, have been so thoroughly deceived and brainwashed and are a part of the agenda that they can't tell reality from fiction anymore. But we are happy to see that at the very least, some countries in the world 
will not be continually injecting children with the experimental gene therapy injections. Yeah, Andrew, and as we kind of, uh, you know, come out of this pandemic, as we're kind of assessing what's gone on for the last two and a half years, as we're taking this 30,000 foot view of, of what's kind of gone on on the ground, um, there's a few things that are coming out that are just pointing all in the same direction. And um, this is kind of what we've been able to gather from just various stories as we're going through the news as well, that kind of point to um, the vaccines, harmful effects, especially in young, healthy people. So, one, according to a Toronto-based casket manufacturer, there has been a historically high amount of child casket sales since the rollout of the COVID-19 shots. In fact, one particular owner says that sales are up 30 to 40 percent, uh, which in his industry is obviously massive, um, especially when we're talking about children, right? Um, Two, in the first nine weeks of 2022, Canada has seen excess mortality in the age range zero to 14. Three, we have seen a spike in incidences of myocarditis, which is relatively rare, which you probably hadn't even heard about before the rollout of these vaccines in children and youth since the COVID injections were first made available. And then four, and finally, Europe has had a 691% increase in excess deaths among children since the COVID injections were made available for kids. When you add that to all the uh, athletes across the world who are passing out, who are, you know, their careers are ended because of heart issues, we're seeing overwhelming evidence that points in one direction that these mRNA gene therapies were not adequately tested and they have drastic real-life implica implications and effects on a lot of people who took this. And that's the sad reality of the situation is this monomaniacal focus on vaccines are a way out of it. Not only were they wrong, not only are these vaccines incapable of stopping not only the transmission of COVID-19, but also the hospitalization. And it seems like the more boosters you get, the less effective they are, um, you know, even being negatively effective. So not only was that wrong, but it was deadly wrong in so many cases, Andrew. And I, like I said, the ramifications of what is coming out of many research projects of what's coming out in real world data is showing that these vaccines are dangerous. They were not adequately tested and they should have been stopped. The rollout of them should have been stopped long ago. We can be thankful for the public health establishment in the UK repenting and, and stopping them in the rollout of the youngest in their nation. But still, 
the overwhelming cry from mainstream media, not only in Canada, but across the globe, is vaccine, vaccine, vaccine. That's the only way forward. That's the only course of action to prevent further spread of COVID-19. And it is totally disregarding study after study, reality after reality of how harmful these um, experimental gene therapies are. And if I can just say one last thing, some people might respond, you might you might have some criticism saying, well, I mean, the excess amount of deaths among children could be attributed to COVID-19 itself and the variants to which we reply, you're an idiot, because we know for a fact that the survival rate of children with regards to COVID-19 statistically is 100%. Mm -hmm. Now, it's not as if to say that children don't die from it, they, they do. But if we're actually looking at a percentage, it's something like 99.99997 children under the age of 18 who get COVID will die from it. That's and essentially- all, And always- Sorry, we'll so survive it. They'll survive it. Yeah, yeah let me yeah. get the numbers right. Yeah. 99, let me just be clear. Yeah. 99.99997% of children who get COVID will survive it, which makes the death rate at statistically zero. Mm -hmm. Or if you want to be more accurate, 0.000003, yeah. if you want to be accurate. Yeah, absolutely. And it should be pointed out that most kids in that age group who have died either of COVID or with COVID have had some serious underlying comorbidities. And, and by most, it. you mean all. Oh, or yes, all, sorry. Yeah. sorry. All <laughs> minus one or two, yeah, maybe. But, but, I mean, that is the overwhelming data that we have, absolutely. Yeah, so it's not COVID. It's not COVID that's killing these kids. It's the fact that it is attacking the tissue around their heart, and it is it is causing other severe side effects that are killing otherwise young, healthy children. And I mean, this it, it this is a a good tie-in as well into the rest of the show, because what we've seen is we've seen a civil government and unelected health bureaucrats saying, "You're in mortal danger." And we have a solution. We're your savior. We will save you from this plague. All you need to do is what we say and the way we say. And if you don't, then we will punish you under the threat of law. And that is a civil government that has become beastly. That is a civil government that has now begun to say, we're God. We're in control of life and death. You do what we say or we punish you when really that belongs only to the Lord Jesus Christ. And so th and here's the consequence. When a government, when a state thinks that it is God and acts like a beast, the consequence is death and suffering and destruction among the people, as opposed to when a civil government does what it's supposed to do by obeying God and his law. It's always for the better of a society. And that, so we're, why am I saying all of this? Well, I'm saying all of this because we were able to interview a good friend, pastor, elder, and now part of a documentary making team, Jacob Rayom. And we're going to show that interview and the subsequent trailer for the documentary that he is putting out that's coming out in November. But first, the interview with Jacob and the releasing of the trailer are brought to you by our newest sponsor here at the Liberty Coalition Canada, 
and that is Red Balloon. We announced last show that Red Balloon is a new sponsor, and we are excited to partner with them. You might think that woke politics and medical tyranny have destroyed the Canadian workplace, but did you know that some companies are standing up and saying no? In just one year, over 2,000 companies have pledged to honor free speech and medical privacy at redballoon.work, and Red Balloon is coming to Canada. Business owners, if you want top-tier, values-aligned talent or want to access a one-of-a-kind course or one-of-a-kind courses and guides that will help you build an uncancelable pro-freedom workplace, sign up today at redballoon.work slash LCC. Again, that's redballoon.work slash LCC. And job seekers, if you're tired of skin-deep promotions and vaccine checkpoints, and you want to find a courageous company that shares and protects your values, new jobs are waiting for you also at redballoon.work slash LCC. Again, that's redballoon.work slash LCC. You have to do the slash LCC so that they know we sent you. Absolutely. So let us get into the interview with Pastor Jacob Rayon. It is our great joy to have with us Pastor Jacob Rayom. Born and raised in Guelph, Jacob holds a Master of Divinity from the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary in Louisville, Kentucky. He became pastor of Trinity Bible Chapel in August 2009. And if you are unfamiliar with either his name or the name of his church and you live in Canada, then you have been sleeping for the last two years or you've only been consuming a steady diet of Legacy Media, which is toxic for your body and your soul. <laughs> Jacob is married to his high school sweetheart, Joanna, and together they have six children. Brother, it is a joy indeed and a pleasure to have you with us on the Liberty Dispatch. The Lord is doing some exciting things through your ministry and through your church. So thanks for being with us today. Thanks for having me on, brothers. And I love what Liberty Coalition is doing. You guys are doing a great job, so keep up the good work, and it's a real honor to be here. Thanks, man. Well, my friend, this past Sunday, the trailer dropped for Antichrist and His Ruin, which we will be showing shortly in our show. After we're done our interview, we're going to actually air the trailer for everyone to see it in very, very high definition. This is one of the benefits of having connections <laughs> to the document documentary makers. Um, but a question we wanted to ask you is what was the purpose and intention behind the documentary? So obviously... You've been thinking about this for a while. It, it, it didn't just spring up out of nowhere. The last two and a half years have been a rather interesting two and a half years for the church. So what drove the creation of the genesis of this documentary? Well, I think it, it stems from my own personal study and how that's applied to my church and my ministry over these last uh, several years. So I remember years ago reading an article um, somewhere on the Internet that I came across about how we've lost a doctrine of the Antichrist because it has become sensationalized with some of the stuff that went on in the 90s or the 80s um, with various novels and, and whatnot. And so it's almost like it's an embarrassing thing for a lot of us to talk about, and this is something that needed to be recovered. And so I kind of went on my own personal exploration, thinking this through, and I was at the time reading through the works of John Bunyan, which I've since uh, read through, 
And by the time the COVID lockdowns came around, I'd read through the majority of his works. And there is uh, a short little book in volume two called Of Antichrist and His Rune, which I found very helpful in that he uh, distills some of the principles uh, by which you can recognize uh, an antichrist emerging within your own society. And so when the COVID lockdown started to occur, well, I actually, I started to recognize our government as antichrist even before uh, the COVID lockdowns with some of the nonsense and shenanigans that were going on. But certainly this really manifested itself in, a, in an absolutely horrifying way during the COVID lockdowns. And I was, I was very quick to speak out against the government's actions. Um, and part of that uh, was based on my study of of various Puritans, but specifically Bunyan, and even more specifically, his book of Antichrist uh, and his ruin. And then being able beyond that, I would preached through Genesis uh, in the early 2000s to mid 2010s. It took me several years to work through Genesis. And you see this theme, although it's not called that in Genesis, you see the theme of the Antichrist government uh, emerging very, very, very quickly um, as early as Genesis, I think it's Genesis 5, with, uh, with the reign of Lamech, who's a son of Cain. And then you see it um, uh, with Babel, and certainly with, uh, with Egypt and Pharaoh and Abimelech. So um, these, are, these are themes that I detected in Scripture. Uh, this is something that I've learned from Bunyan, and this was a very quick application uh, for me personally, and then in trying to galvanize and unify our congregation in this regard, uh, during the early part of 2020 when we were dealing with government tyranny leading well into 2022. Hmm. Perhaps there's a lot of people who are saying, you know, they look at um, they look at the name of the the documentary and they say Antichrist in Israel. That's pretty salacious. That's that's tough language. You know, church at war. It's a really a militant kind of uh, sounding uh, documentary name. But why is it appropriate? Right. We've talked in the program like and you I think you just said this, that especially as ministers of the gospel, you will know people by their fruit. And you you discerned long before it came to anything COVID that. Uh, that the government that we were under in Canada was obviously evincing fruit of Antichrist, right? The spirit of Antichrist. So why is, a lot of people might think that title is salacious, but why is it appropriate to apply to our current Canadian government, the regime that is currently in place? And why isn't it not uh, just kind of a slanderous uh a way of speaking about our government officials that we have to be careful not to slander them. Why is why is that an appropriate title? Would you say? Well, I think we have to take our cues on on tone and content and category from Scripture itself. And so, some might accuse me of of perhaps being overly, um, I, I guess you could say, militant in my language uh, in in this teaching, but. We are the church militant, and we should see ourselves as the church militant, and we should be getting our categories from Scripture. And so I, th I am of the persuasion that one of the things, if, if I may use the word, has gelded the Canadian clergy is the unwillingness to simply proclaim what Scripture teaches as it is. So quite often what, what you'll hear is, 
Well, I'm I'm kind of I feel so, sort of uncomfortable saying this, but you know, I just kind of have to say it. Whereas I think we just simply need to state the biblical language, state the biblical category and make a clear application. Now people have accused me in the past of being of being harsh in that regard. I'm not going out of my way to be harsh. I'm simply trying to speak as absolutely clear as I can with creating images with the words that I use, just like the Bible does. And so as we talk about language of, of Antichrist and we talk about the church being at war, these are, are distilled, these are derived, these are principles, this is language that is on the pages of all of, uh, you know, of Scripture, from right at the beginning of Genesis to the end of Revelation, this stuff is being used. And so for a church um, to be offended by this, this tells me that the church is either biblically illiterate or is ashamed of her Lord, maybe both. Yeah, and I th- and part of the I, part of the reasoning or part of the thinking behind Matt's question also is when you see that Antichrist and his ruin, and you you alluded to this already, Jacob, that people have in their minds a Tim LaHaye left That's behind right. a a kind of Darbian understanding of end timesy things, and when they think Antichrist, they automatically go to this very smooth talking singular leader who sits atop the nations and they they have a certain understanding of you know mm-hmm. vaccines and microchips mm-hmm. and barcodes and blood moons mm-hmm. and i just posted on facebook the other day a picture of a very very red moon and i said we need to call john Hagee mm-hmm. stat i mean it's like clearly we're there so when people think about that they, it, it is sensationalized but what and I, I don't know if this was part of your intention but i know it will be a consequence of the documentary and I'm thankful for the Puritans and their teaching on this, is to demystify That's what I want to do. a lot of the understanding of Antichrist, that there are biblical categories for a state that demands worship in place of being Christ as Lord. And the, the New Testament will call this state a beastly state. That's right. State, no, that's absolutely right. right. The state, that, the state mm-hmm. from out of the, the state mm-hmm. out of the sea, sorry, the beast out of the sea and the beast on land. So all we're doing is we're just trying to help people understand no, this is biblical and it's not sensational, and this is something that believers have understood for two thousand years, to, which is good. We need to move. We need to move beyond either a being kind of, I guess you could say, titillated by the sensational Tim LaHaye type stuff, or b being embarrassed about Antichrist because Tim LaHaye and these guys tried to titillate people with all that they you know, taught in their books and their movies and all this stuff back in the 90s. And so those are two problems. One, you have people with fanciful, sensational ideas. Or two, you have people that are actually embarrassed by the proper teaching because of those sensational and fanciful ideas. So let's, let's put that behind us. It's embarrassing. Okay, I wish the church never went through that, but we've gone through it. Now let's get back to what the scriptures say and get back to what our forefathers have taught us. And yes, there is a beastly state, there is an antichrist state, and there is a whore of a church, a false church, that prostitutes herself to that state. And even me saying the word whore, who prostitutes herself to that state, is offensive. But this is straight out of Scripture. I'm not... (laughs) You shouldn't read Hosea. If you're offended by that word, you shouldn't read the book of Hosea, because... It's uh, it's it's there about uh, two yeah. dozen or times. Or the book of Revelation. That's right. Yeah, absolutely. That's right. Uh, right. Okay. I I, I want to interject before we move on to the next question because I think Andrew, Andrew brought up an interesting thing that I want your thoughts on, uh, Jacob. 
maybe you could break down for us some ways that our current government in Canada, and I think you're seeing it across the Western world, sets itself up as God. What are some evidences that the current regime in Canada sets itself up as God uh, when it comes to the way that they treat their citizens, the way that they interact in the church. So what is what are some of those ways that the, this antichrist spirit has manifested? Do you have an organ ready, Matt? Do you have an organ I don't, sound ready? I don't. I need to this? get Knox's okay. uh, little roads. Right. Yeah, we have yeah, to have those yeah, stingers. Exactly. So I think that I, I don't want to start with the government, Matt. Mm -hmm. I want to start with the people. The problem is primarily okay. with the people, I think, although the government is a big problem. And and you saw this in the hearts of the people. We could go back to 2020 in March, where the people automatically, their gut instinct, they've been trained from birth to cry out to the government for salvation. They think that the government can save them from everything. Well, now the Christians will, will buck at that and say, well, we don't think the government can save us, save our souls. Well, hold on. You actually gave up the worship of Jesus Christ for two years because you thought the government could save you from a disease. So, I mean, there's there's some serious compromise there. So I think you see this in the hearts of the people, and the hearts of the people were 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 exposed. They spilled over in 2020, but we saw this coming beforehand, and I certainly detected it, and I, and I made commentary in my sermon. In fact, I had someone who told me, she's new to our church, she's told me recently that she's been listening to my sermons dating back to 2011. And she said, the way that you acted during COVID is completely consistent to what you were teaching even back in 2011. And so, but anyway, what, what, I, what I detected with our government was a number of things. Well, one is, is the redefinition of marriage, okay? We, if, you're, if you have a libertarian bent, which I suspect some of your listeners may have, you would say, well, let people do what they want to do. But but this is the problem. The, the redefinition of marriage is actually the government claiming to be God because it's God that defines marriage. I was actually reading Thomas Manton on the Antichrist um, last week. And one of the th points that Manton made is he exposited 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 is that the Antichrist government or the Antichrist establishment rarely claims to be God. In fact, it doesn't, but it acts like God. Okay. So if you have a, so Manton, of course, was concerned about the Church of Rome, and his point was that the papacy never claims to be Christ, but the papacy acts like Christ, okay? That's how you identify it, and, and of course, Manton was categorizing the papacy as Antichrist. So we get to 2022, the papacy isn't as much of a threat to Protestantism or to evangelicalism as it was back then. It might come again, I don't know. But, it, it, but right now, the biggest threat to us is a secular um, humanistic government. And so you have a government acting like God in redefining marriage. You have a government acting like God in redefining sex, as in male and female. So now what you, what you can do is, is if you're a man, you can chop off some private parts and get a little bit of surgery, and now you can be called a woman. My, one of our pastors actually went to the University of Wilfrid Laurier University the other day, and it's his first time being on campus in a couple of years. And he 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 walked by the woman's change room for I think it was the fitness center, and in the woman's change room on the front door it says anyone may enter this if they claim to be a woman. Okay. So we have the redefinition in our culture of, of sex. A man can claim to be a woman just as much as a woman can claim to be a woman or vice versa. Okay. 
and, and then you, you, you can even look at the, the economic side of things. And this really came up during the housing crisis in 2009. The government starts to create wealth out of nothing by, by printing money. The only one that can create wealth out of nothing is God Almighty. He creates wealth material out of ex nihilo, out of nothing, ex nihilo. So the government, people started to think this is okay. If we need money, the government will just make money for us. Well, that's not how money's made. If you understand economics, you understand that that's, that is not how money's made. The government, that's actually stealing from the people because it's basically the government is turning our currency into monopoly money, counterfeit currency. So I can, there's three ways really quickly on how the government has become antichrist. Now, move forward now. This is where I was starting to get nervous. You move forward to 2020. Now the government thinks that is is the state the secular state it now has the prerogative to redefine worship so there's actually a press conference where the premier was commenting on our church the premier of ontario and he says well you can worship online hold on a second now the premier of ontario is claiming to tell us and and pontificate to us what a church is a church is someone who watches or a group of people who watch broadcasts online. I told our staff very early on when we started doing this online stuff, I said, we're basically nothing more than a bunch of glorified televangelists. That's all we are. We're, we're not a church if we're meeting online. That's not meeting online. So I, I, there's, some, there's some very basic ways that the government, the state, the secular state, the, the civil government has, has claimed to be God in Christ. It's not said we are God in Christ. It's claimed it by its actions. And so as Christian people, we ought to be able to detect that and be able to say, whoa, 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 what's going on here is very dangerous. This is a spiritual act. This is more than just people acting stupid. This is a spiritual activity, and the devil has now gotten behind our, our civil government. And to, to, to connect those threads for our audience, they might be asking the question, well, wait a minute. How, how do we know? Where do we draw the line between what does and doesn't belong to God, the state? And, and clearly, or simply, I'll say that there's there's a moment, there's a story in the life of Christ when he's approached by some religious leaders who talk about paying taxes to Caesar. And then Jesus says something that he's addressing the issue at hand, but he says something that really is a principle for all of life, which is there are things that belong to the state and there are things that belong to to God, render to Caesar what is Caesar's and to, to God what is God's. And when, when Jesus is saying that, he's saying that there are things that belong to God alone, both in terms of identity, in terms of character, and in terms of operation, that God alone is the one who gets to define so things it, this way. God alone is the one who gets to create things. And so when the state begins to say of the things that are for God alone, no, now they're for us. They've crossed over that line of claiming things that are not theirs because Jesus clearly delineates that there are things that belong to the state and things right. that belong to the Right, and I think the, the, the important thing, that, one of the most important things to note in that passage, Andrew, and I'm glad you brought it up, is, is who defines what belongs to the state? Because who defines what belongs to the state tells us who has authority over the state. So if I, like Jesus says, render unto Caesar what is Caesar, render unto God what is God's. So if I'm to pay taxes to Caesar, it's only because Jesus tells me to, right? So ultimately, the authority is Jesus Christ over the state. Anything that we give to the state is only what Christ tells us to give to the state. Because in that passage and others, 
that this this principle is is delineated this principle is is distilled so anything and jesus certainly in the context of that passage worship was being denied to christ in the temple so the pharisees had already rejected the worship of christ in the temple and so they were not giving to christ what belongs to christ or to god what belongs to god because they weren't giving him his worship so it was interesting during the start of the COVID 19 lockdowns all these people were saying render under caesar what is caesar's and, and what they were doing is they were rendering under Caesar what is Christ's, which is the worship of Christ. And they were acting like the Pharisees in the temple. And not just the worship of Christ, but the definition of what is That's worship. Right. And that, that was part of the battle. It's not just what worship is, but who gets to define what worship That's is. That's right. Who gets to define. And this, I mean, th we, we would say that, you know, properly understanding Romans 13 is not just about exegeting those seven verses. But there are a pair of lenses we must put on first, and the lenses are there are things that belong to the state and there are things that belong to the Lord. And as you said, the one who defines not only what these things are, but defines to whom they belong is the Lord himself. Now you can finally properly understand Romans 13 instead of just throwing it around mm -hmm. as a compliance peanut butter to spread all over yeah. cowardly it toast. Right. That's, that's it's also that's important to realize that the, the entire testimony through scripture uh, put uh, puts forward uh, a large centralized powerful government as something to be avoided. Right. When that's we right. when we see Jethro's advice to Moses, that's the most Republican advice you could ever obtain it's set up a, a group of tr like tribal leaders like or mun municipalities where they're governing themselves and then essentially he sets up a supreme court system he breaks down government into really really small um denominations that people can have the most amount of freedom and govern their tribes and then ultimately that's it, it, it biblical government is limited and it, it disperses power across a wide range of um you know different people uh, different roles to increase the amount of um you know personal freedom as well but it's always you know ordered liberty in, in that sense so that's important well, even... for us to realize too this big behemoth centralized government is something that is set forward in scripture as being an evidence of antichrist yeah and so you you look at the for example the decalogue the ten commandments if you want to talk about limited government look at the ten commandments because that is a law that is supposed why was king david supposed to meditate upon that day and night because he had to learn how to be a king in subjection to the law of god when david failed as a king that's when he stepped out of the ten commandments right that's when he stepped out of outside of god's god's revealed law and so so for example do not steal we learn from the scriptures very easy quickly that 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 includes the government and the government during the COVID era and certainly with our our modern taxation system in the english-speaking west the western world is constantly stealing from the people it, it's it's property theft is going on all over the place and the government is committing it and you saw this in, in just plainly with the COVID-19 era when they told private businesses to shut down um, in order to save people from COVID-19. So, and, and we see in the scriptures that the government is not allowed to do that. King uh, Ahab wanted to take Naboth's vineyard, which was his means of production. And he even offered him a fair price for it. 
But Naboth said no. Naboth was right to do that. And King Ahab um, or Jezebel manipulated things to have uh, Naboth uh, executed. And that, and that theme is repeated throughout Scripture. So, you know, it's, it's coming down to, as, as Samuel Rutherford talked about, is Lex Rex. It's not Rex Lex, not the king over the law. It's Lex Rex. It's the law over the king. And when it becomes king over the law, like we see in 21st century Canada, it becomes antichrist. Because now what the king is doing, or the the civil government is doing, is it's replacing the law of God with the law of man. And when the civil government starts to do that, you automatically ought to be able to detect that and say, that's the beast of Revelation chapter 13. I want us to move now um, to talk about the documentary, the trailer, and its response. And I'll just kind of wrap up. This, this little bit, this discussion we've had here by saying this is why we've labored the point here at the Liberty Coalition. You cannot have a Christ-less conservatism. Amen. That if you're going to try to have a righteous government and if you're going to have a nation established well in a way that leads to prosperity and flourishing and the good of the people, if you excise biblical foundations from that, you will be left with chaos and ruin. And so the people who say keep Keep your Bible stuff out of the politics. No, no, no. We, we can have a libertarian kind of government. The reality is once you remove biblical truths from civil government, it will, as Schaefer was keen on saying, will inevitably lead to chaos in the society. And the people will be so afraid and so clinging to any kind of order that a totalitarianism will arise to provide the people with some sort of order and some sort of safety. And the people will accept it. So we always have to fight for a Christ-centered or a Christ-full conservatism in our politics, which is was what we're doing. And I'm, I'm glad for this discussion. Um, but I want to turn to talk about the, the, the trailer, the documentary. And so one of the questions that we have for you, Jacob, is what has the response been so far? I know this is broad and, and maybe, I mean, maybe you can pick particular groups or audiences or even some of the response you've had from people in your church or maybe other Christians around the country who maybe have found themselves in churches that have been less than bold and less than prophetic in their voice and in their ministry. What um, What's the response so far to the documentary and specifically to the uh, rather spicy trailer that we are more than glad to, to show in a little bit? I didn't think the trailer was that spicy. <laughs> well, that's because you, that's right. So that's right to you, right? I think to you and to me, we, we, we have a pretty high tolerance for the spice. And so for us, it's like, oh yeah, this is just a normal Sunday morning. I, I say much more stuff in my sermon, but to people whose, uh, whose spiritual and emotional taste buds have been dulled and blanded by flaky evangelifishism. What has their response been I'm only, to uh, the trailer and the documentary? I knew the trailer would be perceived as spicy. I'm partly, but I don't think it is that spicy if you want to look at what the scriptures actually say. So, so I think that some of the people who oppose me have, they just don't, they don't want to deal with me. And so they don't let me know what they think personally, one-on-one -on -one, or interact with me directly for, for whatever reason. But things do get filtered back. So, you know, the overwhelming majority of people that have communicated with me, it's been positive. They're glad for it. They're looking forward to it. This is, wow, this is really good. This is something that, that's needed. But there are, 
there are things that that get filtered back to you and so you start to think okay well what does this person have a point or or how do i how do i interact with with this and i i think some people say well you shouldn't be be lashing out against the government um and they're not the the main problem and and that's that's a that's a bad that's a misperception of what we're actually doing we're not primarily lashing out against the government we're we're saying the government is wrong this is why this is how they need to correct course which is totally consistent with what the scripture does and consistent even with Bunyan did in Antichrist and his rune but what what we are I mean Bunyan even goes to the point in in Antichrist and his rune basically say the government's controlled by Antichrist so if my language is too strong then Bunyan's is too um, and certainly Revelation 13 talking about a beastly state and uh, an Antichrist state in that regard and some of the criticism that the Bible offers of other governments so I don't think we're we're getting out of our lane. In fact, I know we're not getting out of our lane and criticizing the government and asking the government to correct course. But I think the primary problem in our country is not the government. I think it's the people. And more specifically, even at, in some cases, not all, I think uh, in some cases it's the church or the apostate churches are milly-mouthed, um, weak-willed, as you call them, evangelifish churches. But I, I think... I think the problem is you're dealing with an apostate people. Like like everyone in this country who's been whose family's been here for generations. My country's my family's been here since I think it's the 1630s. Some have been here less, some more. But anyone who's been here for for several generations, their family, I guarantee you go back just a few generations, your parents or grandparents or great-grandparents was going to a church, certainly in English Canada for the most part, where you were being told to repent, believe the gospel, or you're going to go to hell. And the message that we put out in our trailer would have been like, hmm, okay, to those people. And their grandparents would have been more put off by what's going on in our culture than what was going on in our trailer. And they would be rolling in their graves to think of what their grandchildren are doing with this country. So you're, the problem is you're dealing with an apostate people that have intentionally rejected God. And then a problem added to that is not just an apostate people. It's a, it's a milly-mouthed, biblically illiterate, gelded, evangelifish church. So you have either pastors that are completely ignorant of what the Bible says about government, and to them, Christianity is praying alone in a room and watching YouTube church if the government is so kind to let you. Whereas Christianity is all of life. It's everything. Jesus has something to say about every aspect of our lives. He's Lord of all. And so I think to answer the question of us going dealing with government is simply say, well, do you believe that Jesus is King of Kings and Lord of Lords or not? Because if he is King of Kings and Lord of Lords, that means all the kings of the earth and the lords of the earth are, are to submit to him. So one of the issues that we're attacking government, well, government is a problem. I've already ex explained that. The people are a bigger problem, and I think the churches are up there with the people. Some have, some have not been happy that we named or at least pointed out to certain personalities in the trailer. There was a few personalities in it that I think has come across that some are not happy. But it, you got to understand, every one of the personalities in that trailer was complicit somehow in the government lockdowns. And, and certainly the ones that were most prominent in the trailer were ones who were using their voices and their positions to attack the faithful church. 
Um, so if people are more offended that we're pointing out personalities in a trailer than they were about people using their position and their credentials to attack a faithful church, then they probably need a heart check. Um, we're simply we're simply reiterating as we document history um, what happened uh, during those times and what those people did. And I hope that's a good thing for the people's the personalities who are brought out because I really hope my hope is that they repent. They've led people astray, and my hope is that they actually repent. And uh, instead of being like uh, Judas, hopefully act like Peter. And I'll, to those people who would have that criticism, I just want to say quickly, if you have a public ministry, and by public ministry I mean your writing, your teaching, your, 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 your Twitter, it's public, there are many people who follow, who watch. If you have a public ministry and you publicly, in articles, in social media, criticize and make statements, then you have opened yourself up to public in the open kind of criticism. So anyone who would say, well, it, what you're doing is unbiblical, because if you have criticisms of some of these men, you should Matthew 18, go to them in private. No, 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 no. That's, that's a different thing. When you have a public ministry and it is visible and you use that platform in the open, then you now have made your, you, you have to be available to a public criticism in the open as well. And if you're not, then what you need to do is you need to shut down your Twitter account stop writing articles and be an entirely private man if all you want is private criticism. So for people that are going to misuse Matthew 18, understand that the moment you stand on a platform and say, hey, everyone who hears me, listen, you need to be open to one person from within that audience standing up and saying in the open, uh, wait a minute, you're wrong. Uh, and this is the platform to to express that opposition. So I want to yeah, I want to attack that criticism. And what, did the, what did these men become known for? Certainly during the COVID era, they weren't known for offering hope to the world through the shed blood of Christ. They were known for offering hope to the world through the availability of vaccines. So a, a lot of them were, not all of them, but but and and being ready for snacks, <laughs> double vaxxed and ready for snacks. <laughs> right. And so you heard like they actually developed a reputation for being mouthpieces for the state and for pushing more the supremacy of the state than the supremacy of Christ. And they ought to answer for that. And there's hope for people who do those things if they repent. Um, but I'm, I'm concerned about them if they continue to try and weasel their way out of the criticism. Mm -hmm. So thinking about the trailer quickly, Jacob, tell us about the shadow banning. So I got a message from um, one, the, the producer of the documentary and he was telling me about the trailer being shadow banned and then something that you guys are doing in response to try to get the word out so tell us a little bit about that and then briefly tell us what it is what can we be doing and what can people be doing to spread the trailer and the word of the documentary and the conference well we've learned that big tech and um uh you know facebook twitter all these groups of people have suppressed things that don't fit their particular narrative. So somehow there, you know, there's a group of people who are in bed with each other trying to perpetuate a statist narrative, servants of Antichrist. And uh, so we believe that big tech has actually suppressed um, this, the, 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 the trailer. And one of the reasons we believe that is that some with large platforms are sharing the trailer and yet it's not being interacted with at all on their social media. And um, people uh, I've heard, like our church has a fairly decent size for a church social media platform. I've heard people say they don't even see our church stuff show up on their feeds. So, and then the trailer was shared. It was interesting. 
the trailer itself. So we put the trailer out on our Facebook page and the, and and then the trailer was shared by the Antichrist and his rune documentary Facebook page. Facebook actually removed the share for a while there. So people weren't even able to go to the Antichrist and his rune Facebook page and see the share. Now, I think they last I checked they put it back up. But all as I'm saying is there's some funny business that's going on whereby it's fairly obvious to us knowing what we know about big tech and then seeing what's going on with these shares that it's being suppressed. Not surprised. It's easier. It's more political savvy for them to suppress it in the algorithm than it is to outright censor it. Because the minute they censor it, we can say, oh, they censored it. And now everyone wants to see the censored thing that's banned on Facebook or banned on YouTube. And now we direct them to Rumble because we have it up on Rumble, I think, too. But so so that that's going on. So what we've done is is we've made the actual file, HD file, high quality file of the trailer available to the public. So what you can do if you want to help us beat the sensors, big tech sensors, is you can take the file and you can upload it to your own Facebook account. So they don't trace it back to ours or another Facebook account that they flagged. This democratizes the distribution of it. You can upload it to your own Gab account or your own Truth Social account. Or people have big Telegram platforms. You can upload it to Telegram, your own YouTube, whatever. You can take the file and you can email the file to people and say, hey, check this out. Um, or maybe you're in a signal chat. I don't know. So so this is what we've done. The, the, we pushed the documentary from our Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube for a few days. Then we realized it was being suppressed. And so we made the actual file available so people can distribute it themselves. And I would encourage them to do so. Yeah, we'll share that link in our uh, in our show notes. We'll actually share it as well on all our social media. Um, when we release this episode, we'll make sure that we let people know exactly what they need to do and where they need can where they need to go and how they can Thank find you. it. Thank you. So finally, Jacob, you're not only releasing a documentary, but you are putting together a conference around the release of the documentary in November. Maybe you could tell people what the actual dates are, where it's being held, and, and what it's going to look like for those who have a desire to attend. And what you're going to do when you sell out of tickets. <laughs> How are you going to deal with what happens when you sell out of tickets within two days of them going public? How will you address this problem? I am, I am concerned about selling out of tickets, so I think they're going to go quick. But we, when that happens, we'll see. Like I'm, I'd be nervous to say, "Oh, we're going to go to some rent some um, venue owned by the city of Waterloo," because Center in the Square in Kitchener, they they tried to ban Jordan Peterson when he came. Like there was a movement. So I mean, if they went after him, I know what they're going to do if they go after you know. If, like you said, Jordan Peterson was uh, you know, propagating sodomite marriage on Daily Wire, and and so he's their you know he's more their friend than we are. So anyway. I don't know what we're going to do, but we will cross that bridge and we'll get there and we'll we'll try and be as creative as, as we can. But the, docu the, the conference is going to be great. November 17th, 18th, and 19th at Trinity Bible Chapel, just north of Waterloo, just south of St. Jacob. Some people can fly in actually to the Kitchener-Waterloo Airport. We've, we've got direct flights from various cities and or they can fly in to, to Pearson or Hamilton to get here. And I suspect many will come in from around southern and southwestern Ontario too. 
But um, uh, so I'll be I'll be preaching at it. The conference is going to open on Thursday night with Steve Richardson preaching. Um, we're going to have James Coates will be preaching. Tim Stevens and I will be leading the main sessions on the Friday morning. We're going to have some breakout sessions, which I'm quite excited about. Uh, Aaron Rock is coming in to help us do some uh, some elder training that's going to be opened up to various churches. I mean, there's a lot of churches that will benefit, I think, from having elder training offered to them. And Aaron is going to help us uh, with some of that. He's a seasoned pastor who's got a lot of wisdom to offer. I think we've all benefited from some of the ways that he's uh, chimed in our own lives and helped us work through difficult situations in our church. So we're looking forward to having him. And then um, uh, Andre Shooten has now agreed to lead a at least one breakout session on the constitutional history of, of uh, Canada, um, which I think is very important because I do believe that the uh, Trudeau-era charter has actually been a setback in constitutional freedom, not a move forward. And Andre's going to explain what happened there and why it was a setback and really the rich history that that has been pulled away from us uh, through that era. Uh, hopefully the day comes when we can get back to that, uh, the history that we have. But unfortunately, right now we have to live through this. Um, Tony Costa is going to come and do a breakout session. He's going to talk about the Antichrist uh, religions, some some false religions. Uh, he's going to explain some of the problems with uh, Eastern Orthodoxy and Romanism. Um, we're we're going to uh, there's a few others. Our our associate pastor Will Sherman is going to do a breakout session on small groups. Um, we're going to do a breakout session. A headmaster of our academy. Our, our academy is booming. Our classical Christian academy is booming. We're actually at the point now where I think we're turning away families, and it was only started three years ago. And our headmaster is going to talk about classical education. Um, I'm trying to think of Gabe Wrench is going to do a breakout session on um, on the serrated edge and and social engagement and this kind of thing. So there's it, there's a lot of things happening at this conference. It's going to be educational. It's going to be edifying, and I think it's going to be honestly a a I guess you could say rejuvenating reunion for a lot of us who have been in the trenches for the last two years and have learned a lot of things and we're going to get together uh it's it's a national conference pastors are going to come in and people are going to come in from all over the country and we're going to get together and it's going to be kind of a reunion it's going to be a great time and um get to know each other make some contacts be encouraged and then be edified with sound teaching and preaching and and prayer and uh, we're going to have a time of very focused prayer, share some good laughs, and uh, hear some good sermons. And we're going to yes, be there. Good. Absolutely. We're going to be there. I'm going to be there. Matt's planning mm-hmm. on flying awesome. in. We're going to be there. The, the wife and I are coming. We're going to we're Might gonna make even sure do a live our, podcast. We're, we're looking at <laughs> – well, we're, we're definitely – I've already – so I'll, I'll, I'll say this now as a way to kind of excite some of our listeners, but I've already confirmed with James Coates and Tim Stevens – that we're going to find some time to do a show with the two of them. So we'll interview both of them, and we're going to do an episode of The Dispatch with the two of them together. That's going to be great. Uh, we'll be there decked out in blue with all sorts of fancy advertising promo material mm-hmm. um, because we – I mean, you, you said reunion, but really this is like the mm-hmm. first time that there's going to be this kind of gathering of these men. So there have been pockets. I know you were out west. You visited with James. You visited with Tim. There's been stuff together, but really this is probably going to be the first time that a lot of us who've known each other, who've been, you know, involved in one another's lives, who've been, you know, standing together, we're all going to be together in the same space. So really, if there's a time that they want to send the 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 jackboots after us, 
this would be the time because we're all going to be together in the same church, which is going to be marvelous that we can all finally meet each other. That's going to be a, a glorious time together. Um, and I think probably one of the, even more than the conference itself, personally, the highlight of being able to be in the same room with all these men that I've only seen o online and we've prayed for them and we've rejoiced and we've mourned with them to all be together is going to be quite mm. precious. I'm very much looking forward to yeah, this. Yeah, all the hobbits are coming together. <laughs> right. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, anyways, Jacob, thank you so much for, for coming on the program. We are so excited now to play for our listeners the official trailer of Church at War, Antichrist and His Ruin. I was in prison for 35 days. $300,000 functionally kicked out of our meeting space. And they locked us out of our building. I was in jail for, for 21 days. We were the first church to be ticketed in BC. We come and watch our worship services. I was ultimately excommunicated. We had someone come in the nighttime and scatter a few pounds of roofing. I had 23 tickets. Three citations for obstructions. What, 1.1 million with 11 years in jail maximum. We'll see what the courts decide on it. This is all before the courts. The church has six tickets. I don't know. I think the maximum for the church is 60 million. <laughs> I think we have to realize that Canada is not immortal. But if it's going to go, does it go with a bang rather than with a whimper? I don't know of any nation that has survived, any civilization that survived long term, that has refused to acknowledge the Judeo-Christian ethic. We've never seen anything quite like this. It is, yeah, in my mind, it is unprecedented, certainly in the Canadian context. In the 1960s and in the 1970s, we had this, this growing sense that Canada needed a fundamental break with the past, wanted to be a new order. If you, if you read the history books, Canadians switched from a bicultural Christian identity, French Catholics, English Protestants, to multicultural country, which means that literally anything goes. A man can choose to be any one of a number of newfangled genders. A woman can conduct herself in any way that she or he or it or they or they want. Canada must be unified. Canada must be one. Canada must be progressive. And peoples of many cultures will live in harmony. For me, that is Canada. It's the Canada. The country basically invited the wrath of God at that particular point in history. And then, and then since then, it's just been a slow downward slope. And then I'd say these last few years, the, the slope has become greased rails to hell. An organization that has the explicit purpose of restricting women's rights by removing uh, rights to uh, abortion, the rights for women to control their own body, bodies, is not in line uh, with uh, where we are as a government, but frankly, where we are as a society. My goodness, don't you dare meet for worship during COVID times. And don't you dare organize a trucker convoy in Ottawa. Because if you meet for, for church during COVID times and you organize a trucker convoy in Ottawa, you will feel the full force of the law. But man, if you want to get sodomized or be sodomized or sodomize somebody else, and if you want to kill your baby, nobody's going to tell you not to do it. 
There's an intentional switch in law, intentional switch in lordship, where we have now reached the point in this society where we call evil good and good evil. Hi, I'm Bruxy, and I want to apologize to members of the LGBTQ community. But maybe we don't need to fix ourselves or lose weight or correct whatever capitalism says is wrong with us. And I'm not talking about our queerness or our transness. That's not a fault or a flaw. It's a gift. Uh, it's, it's no wonder why the, the civil government is, is so powerful. It's, it's no wonder why our, our culture is, is heading so quickly into immorality and all kinds of, of, of wickedness and debauchery. It's because the church is so weak. I think what we saw in the last number of years was that some of the so-called evangelical thought leaders were writing articles and saying things, essentially taking Christian morality and, and putting a stamp of approval upon the narrative that was being propagated by health authorities. I would love for you to open your Bibles to Romans 13, 1 to 7. Paul makes it very clear here that we obey God by obeying the state. I guess I, I don't want to waste a civil disobedience protest on, on an issue that's not a not an ultimate issue. I, I think a, a part of the problem we have right now is is the the slippery character of the term essential. Had we complied with the governing authorities and surrendered the headship of Christ over his church to them, that would have been sin. And a defining characteristic of compliant pastors is that they are simultaneously silent on the dangers that their people face. Like the false prophets did in Isaiah's day, refusing to acknowledge the judgment of God and the coming Assyrians. Instead, prophesy to us illusions, speak to us smooth words. And that's what these men have done. There, I have not come across one compliant pastor who is honest about the cost and the dangers and the wreckage that has been caused in people's lives. And they know it because they're not stupid. This is a frightening trend. Experts began to notice more children having mental health issues after the COVID pandemic lockdowns began. Now it's to the point where the Surgeon General is calling it a crisis. I'm not saying that there isn't legislation in place that gives the government the authority to lock down society. I'm not saying the Public Health Act doesn't give the government the authority to lock down society. What I'm saying is that is ultimately irrelevant. Governments have no authority to lock down society. Their responsibility is to uphold and protect the God-given rights of its citizens. Unless we repent of sodomy, unless we repent of abortion, unless we repent of multiculturalism, and these intentional shifts in our culture, you don't have freedom. It's not coming back. My friend, if there's one thing I can say about that trailer, it's that Ooh, it is a spicy. it finds a welcome home here <laughs> yeah. at the Liberty Dispatch. Because if there's one thing we like, it's seasoning our content with a good bit of spice. Mm -hmm. And uh, I mean, I I'm thankful that Jacob and the team and Jeremy and uh, the the production group that's doing this documentary that they've tackled it the way that they have, and they haven't pulled any punches. I think that we are tired of seeing in the Canadian evangelical world a soft, squishy, spineless, hyper-effeminate masculinity that says all we need to be concerned about is being kind 
and winsome and liked and thought well of? And what about our witness? And the irony, of course, is that all these same Christians who admire the reformers and the Puritans for their work, if any of these reformers or Puritans were alive today, they would utterly decimate these weak, mealy-mouthed, as Jacob said, men who are spineless and cowardly in the way that they lead. Because the truth is, it is part of the job of the church to be a prophetic voice in the culture, to call out injustice. And whenever you have a civil government that has become beastly, that has become a tool for Antichrist, it's the job of the church to say, you've gone too far, you must repent, you must do what God commands of you, right? The business world isn't going to do that. The media isn't going to do that. The health, the health establishment isn't going to do that. It's the church that must stand and say, you are being evil and unjust, and we call you to repent. So I'm excited to be in Waterloo in November and see this in person. It is going to be met with, I'm sure, thunderous applause and a, a solid equipping of men and women who are going to be there at the Church at War conference. Absolutely. And if you want to join us, both Andrew and I, Lord willing, will be there in November in Waterloo um, to be at the conference. So if you want to join us, if you want to be there, definitely sign up get tickets when they go on sale when they're released because yeah, as before jacob, they sell out yeah. as jacob said they're expecting them to sell very very fast um and we would just encourage you to to set aside those dates uh wherever you are in this country whether on the west coast or east coast uh please Make sure you're there in person because I'm sure it is going to be a time not only of learning but of a fellowship. Uh, we're going to sing songs. We're going to we're going to prepare for the war that's ahead of us, and a part of that is just coming to the terms that we are actually the church at war. So let's be the church militant. Let's fight the spiritual battles that God's put before us, and let's lay low the enemies of God, and let's do so with joy. And this is why the conference is such a a welcomed uh, site because it can be rejuvenating to our souls and uplifting to to uh, the the entire body of Christ in in our nation and across the world as well. So. And quickly, Matt, before we finish up, we just want to remind everyone of a few details. First of all, you can get updates for the documentary at antichristdocumentary.com. You can see more information. You can see the funding there. And I want to encourage everyone, if you can, if you're able, donate to the work support so that they can meet their goals so everything can happen on time. So that's antichristdocumentary.com. Second, Church at warconference.com is where you can sign up for news and information about the conference. You can know when tickets go on sale. You can read bios on the speakers, see the trailer, really, really good stuff. Third, we're going to have a link in the description, as Jacob was saying, because they've been shadow banned by YouTube and Facebook, where you can download the trailer yourself. And then on your own social media, on your own Facebook, you can upload the video and then share it to others so that it won't get shadow banned by big tech. And finally, I just wanted to say also that we not only will be at the conference there as individuals, but we will have a Liberty Coalition Canada booth set up in the conference. We're going to be there. Come and meet us. Say hi. Take photos. Ask us to say spicy stuff about our right honorable prime hypocrite. We'll <laughs> love to do it. 
we also, Lord willing, will be unveiling some more exciting developments and information regarding the Liberty Coalition Canada at the conference. So do all of those things, support the work, share it as much as you can. It's going to be great. God bless you all. Thank you so much for joining in. We hope you enjoyed the program. For freedom, Christ has set us free. There, stand therefore and do not submit again to yoke of slavery. Galatians 5.1. Godspeed. Thanks for tuning in to Liberty Dispatch, a united front to restore liberty and justice in Canada. Please subscribe to our podcast and Rumble channel as well as visit our website at www.LibertyCoalitionCanada.com.